Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Glory family, as we transition into the message, you guys can have a seat. It is so good to have you. Uh, my name is Greg McKinney. Those of, uh, those of you who are new, it is, uh, it's a delight to have you. I'm, my wife and I are the lead pastors. You got to meet her earlier. Um, those of you who are watching on the podcast, I mean, people got sick this week, so they're, they're staying home. Others of you who are listening in on Facebook, maybe you're like, you stepped outside, felt the cold weather, and went back in. Anyone like tempted to do that this morning? You didn't, though. You are here. So thank you for joining us. Uh, we are actually starting a new ser- uh, sermon series today. Uh, I'm preaching today, and then next week, Brian will be teaching, and then me, and then another, and then so I'm really excited. We are in a series over roles, all right? And we're calling it Roll Call, okay? Roles. And it's really kingdom roles. And I told you a while ago that God gives us, and this is huge, God gives us roles, and anytime you see a role given in scripture, it is a powerful moment for us to be sanctified. God gives us roles for our sanctification, and I'm excited to bring this one in. The the roles are sort of going to build off of each other, so be with me in this. If you've guessed it, uh, we're sort of talking about God as the Father, which inevitably casts us in a role, right? But John writes this, uh, 1 John Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, children. See what love. In fact, to take this a little further, when Jesus says, For God so loved the world, it was not just to save us, but it was so that we could be called children. This word called is like named You've been named a child of God. You've been called according to this person. You've been given a proper name, attribution, a calling child. In the book of John, John writes it this way, chapter 1. But to all who receive him, all who believe in his name, he gave the power. This is a cool word. It's excusia. He gave the power to become children of God who were born not of the blood or by the will of the flesh or by the will of man, but of God. This word power is really powerful. It means he gave you authority. It's really interesting. I will beg to, to challenge you all. If you listen, if we're going to be in a, in a place of a, of, of a child today, The attribute of you being a child of God is the one that the enemy will be the quickest to attack in you. Because it is in your authority as being a child that you have all power. Quite literally, that word means jurisdiction. That if you're a child of God, that means you have heavenly jurisdiction. Where, where when we pray, Father, let your will be done, not on earth as it is in heaven. Like, let it be just not just in heaven, but now on earth too. We don't just get the power to see that. We get the power to be step in step with that. God's will being done today. We have power as children. It's really interesting. If you want to write like a little note for us, a slide for you is that our role, this role of being a child of God is actually the most fundamental role in our Christian life. 
if the enemy can get us tripped up here, he really can get us messed up with every other thing. In fact, like this is a foundational, like quite literally, when you became a Christian, when you were brought from darkness and into light, we can, we can say any, any kind of uh, wonderful metaphor about it. You were dead and now you're alive. You were old and now you're new. The most basic and foundational truth is that you became a child of God. And that is why you are alive. And see, often we can like all these metaphors, but if we miss this fundamental role, then we often will spiral in places that what is now happening in my life is huge. You see where Jesus says, like, I have come that they may have life and life to the fullness. It's right after he says something about our enemy, right? The enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy it's really interesting, uh, Jesus coming, that we could be children. It's, it's neat that that is in direct opposition from like a spiritual theft or, or when, when the enemy comes to spread decay and destruction, that as we stand as children of God, that is where abundant life is. That is where beauty, in fact, Paul will say this phrase, I'm going to have you already open up. We're going to get into some scripture this morning. And I'm like going to go a little nerdy on you. I might cry. This is probably one of my favorite chapters in the book of Romans. Okay, Romans 8. In fact, you will come to see, each of you will come to see that you know and memorize little nuggets of Roman 8, Romans chapter 8, and you don't even realize that it's Romans chapter 8. But the interesting thing is, just a little fun little aside, you've memorized sections of Romans chapter 8, but if it's out of the context of Romans chapter 8, it's not as powerful as you just blabbing it out. Because the whole chapter is actually about your sonship. And so then every other nugget that you love, I mean, Paul is about to say, you are more than conquerors in Christ. Like he's about to say that. And some of you are like, I'm a more than a conqueror. Well, that's because foremost, you're a son. And that's why you can conquer. Because the conquering king is your dad. You are more than a conqueror because you are a daughter of the most high. And so if the enemy can just keep saying you're more than conqueror and yet I think at the end of the day, like some of you, we feel like things triumph over us, right? So then this, this positive truth of being more than conqueror can look like a non-existent part of our life, right? And so the enemy is like, so I thought you were more than conqueror. Why can't you attack and, and conquer this addiction? Or why, why is this still happening? Because at the end of the day, I'm only a conqueror because I'm a son, and that's something he can't refute, right? We can feel like things are triumphing over us, but he cannot refute that we're sons, daughters. It's really beautiful. Uh, I will tell you right now, if you want to take notes, complete triumph, that more than conqueror, is what defines the abundant life of a son and daughter. But we got to say, okay, God, teach me to be a son. Teach me to be a daughter. And so as we get into this, um, I'm going to just pause and pray, okay? Because I'm not even going to joke. Some of you are going to be so uncomfortable and your mind's going to be uh, out there or you're going to be hardened or you're going to be callous. You're going to daze out. And I really want you to know all of this is going to happen because the enemy, the flesh, the world does not want you to be a son 
and to stand in that authority. The world does not want you to be a daughter and to stand in that authority. And so I'm going to pray right now for just a little protection over our minds. Does that sound good? Uh, Just clarity of purpose, of thought, and that the Lord will speak. Does that sound good? So Father God, I submit my whole heart to you, Lord. In fact, we submit our lives to you, Jesus. Now, we are not just just recipients of your covenant, God. We're not just recipients, uh, blessed people who were saved, but now we're co-heirs. We are children of the Most High. So, Father, right now, I pray a mighty protection over the minds of your church. I pray a a clarity of mind, even for those who have no idea of who you really are. I pray right now that their mind would be clear so that they could see who you really are and make a decision based off of that. Not off of their opinions, not off of their trauma, not off of their past, but who you really are. So Father, in this place, all fear must leave, all anxiety must leave, all confusion must leave, and we're going to ask you, Father, to teach us. We want to know you. In your name, Jesus, amen. I have noticed this, and I have experienced this firsthand. Are you ready? That every other role or responsibility that you and I can tack onto our life, literally, if it is not built off of first, the foundation of you and I being children of God, that role or that responsibility will begin to feel like bondage. Like let that sink in a little bit. Some of you are responsibility chasers. You pick up any title that you can possibly get, any anything, and it, it comes from this, like, I need to show that I am competent. I get it. I, I, I've been there in my life. Every role that you take on, mother's in the room. Do you remember the first time when you got overwhelmed by being a mother? You're like, yeah, that happened today. Five minutes before the service when I'm dropping off my child and they're screaming at me, pulling on my shirt. Yes, if it is not built off of you being a daughter of the Most High, then your role as being a mother will begin to feel like bondage. We can keep going. Every responsibility that you take on at work, some of you, you have this weird relationship with the church right now because your role as being a co-worker in the church is feeling distant because it is not built on the foundation of you being a child of God. And so it's starting to feel like bondage. You're just serving and not worshiping. You're just here, but not here. It's because you're trying to add in what you think life should be. But the father says, you're a daughter. So none of this will determine who you are. None of this will limit or question or build off of who you are. I am the only thing. You're my daughter. You're my son. So if it is not foundational, it's really interesting, the role of being a provider, some of you dads, the role of being a friend to people. When, when people are starting to suck, right? We've all been there, right? And you're like, did pastor just say that word? Yes. When friends are just terrible, if the role of you being a friend is the foremost on your mind, then you begin to determine your worth or your value or your goodness based off of that. And it's bondage. That's heavy. That's heavy. All of these things are to be built off of and strengthened by the fact that Greg 
is a child of the most high God. So the reason I can stand and silence the lies in my home, the reason I can submit myself to my wife, which we talked about, and and humbly lead as Christ led, the reason I can do X, Y, and Z, pastor my church, is because I'm a son, not a pastor. I'm a son. Every other role is built off of that, or else it will crumble. It'll feel like bondage. For some of you, uh, things begin feeling heavier. I wrote this down. I, I just was praying for you. Some of you, things are more, cons- more consuming than they should be. Others of you, there are responsibilities that are demanding more of you than you know how to give. Or like, and I wrote this in quotes, I can never seem to get on top of things. All of these emotions and feelings stem when we are out of alignment. When we are thinking this determines me or is shooting me down. If I'm not good at this, then fill in the blank. But the father's like, no, you're a son. You're a daughter of the most high. I really wrote this. I I felt like the father was speaking this to me. Okay, I wrote in my notes, know me as your dad, your father, and you will begin to know all that I have given you. Stop looking for what I've given you. Stop looking for what you think you need. Stop looking for what I have for you next. Stop even asking me to do things for you. Just get to know me as father, and soon you will see all that I have. But God, when are you going to heal this part of my marriage? God, when are you going to do this? God, this, this is just too much for me to handle. These responsibilities at work or these issues over here or this community or my small group is fill in the blank. No, Get to know me as father, and I'll show you all that I have for you. And so I'm just going to beg the question, like, why don't we just say, okay, God, teach me. Teach me. I really wrote down, like, the father is ready to father us right here and right now, as we are, and not as we think we should be, but as we are. So open up to Romans 8. Are you ready? Woo! Romans 8, we're going to start at verse 14, actually, okay? So 1 through 13 is up to you to read this week, okay? He has said already, like, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Woo! But then it all builds up to this little section here. Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. I challenge you, can you say adoption today? Adoption. Woo, there we go. That was fun. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very same spirit of adoption that bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God, then co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him, so that we can be glorified with him. This is a triumphant, we're gonna keep it up for a second. This is a triumphant moment in Paul's letter. And I encourage all of you, like, look at it. Say, God, what are you saying here? Because this is so beautiful. He is writing right now about the law a lot. And just a fun question, um, you don't have to show of hands, but has anyone, like, broke the law before? Anyone? I mean, right here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone lawbreakers in the room? So, woo! We're just a church of lawbreakers. Yeah! I love that people were like, me? (laughs) Okay, 
Thank you for coming all in. Paul is talking to a group of people in Rome that knows that they cannot stand up against the law. They can't. The law is here and they have missed the mark. And so now Paul is writing this whole beautiful thing. All of chapter eight is like, those who are in law are dead. Those who are in the law of the spirit alive. And so he's rewriting this beautiful thing. In fact, like in his mind, uh, he, he's doing this beautiful thing that now we know studies have shown us is true. Do you know that like research proves that the more we break a law, this is sad. The more we break a law, the less empathetic we become, like the less we, we are able to empathize with the hurting. Not only that, the less we are able to actually think about someone and their needs and the more we get stuck in our own suffering. Like this is a literal like psychological research study that uh, you empathy is lost the more times we break laws. In fact, like Paul would say it this way, and it's right before this in the section, he says, those who live according to the flesh begin to set their minds on the things of the flesh and it will end in decay and death, Paul says. But those who live according to the spirit will set their mind on the spirit and that will end with life. And then his whole chapter eight comes to this moment where he says, now what does it mean to be led by the spirit? To be a child, to be child. Those who are led are children. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because they're led by the spirit and are his children. If you want to take this note down, uh, the word led is this word ago, which is really cool. It means to bring or to carry or to direct the movement of an object, which means the Holy Spirit moves the children of God. And those who are moved by the Holy Spirit are children of God. It's this beautiful piece, this, this imagery of those who are moved by the Spirit. And I think at the most basic of levels, if you can just like, let's toss all of this like heavy theology aside. At the most basic of levels, the flesh, our enemy, our world, the reason we struggle to claim our sonship is because everything all around us is moving in a different way than the Holy Spirit. At the most basic of ways. Do you remember the analogy I gave like, maybe two years ago at Glory Church. Some of you have been with us that long. Uh, and it's the, the, of the uh, butter. I'll tell you right now, one of the worst things in our first world problems, okay, this is first world problem. Uh, this is so bad. When you wake up in the morning, right, and you put the toast in the toaster and you open up the butter thing and there's no butter there. Because you know, I have to get the butter out of the fridge. And the butter could have been sitting all night in the warm and been softened for my toast, but now it's going to be cold. And anyone, you're like, and then you're trying to spread frozen, it's not frozen, but cold butter on warm toast, and it's ripping the bread apart, and you're just like angry, the day's ruined, because it's a different temperature. Or those of you who are trying to get smart, you throw it in the microwave to speed up its, its softening, right? And you find it makes this nasty little bowl in it with liquid, and then you're like, crap, do I just pour it on it? Like, what do I do? Real problems, right? I say all of this 
Because one thing about being moved by the Spirit is automatically we are a different temperature than the world around us. And lies spread so quickly. It is like butter. Warm, room temperature butter. Lies can be spread. The enemy's ways are spread quick. But a different temperature which must be softened slowly, which, which takes a long time to get its way across, is the movement of the Spirit. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. That's what Jesus tells, John, uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus. But it is powerful. You can't speed it up. You want to try to speed it up, it'll be nasty and you'll be pouring out everywhere. You got to wait. And the Spirit moves and it's different. This is why, honestly, Mormonism is like the fastest growing because uh, lies spread way easier than truth. This is why you struggle to stand in authority because truth sucks to spread. It's hard. It is hard to get it deep into all things. And at the end of the day, though, we are to be carried, spread, led by the Spirit or else we will be moved by something else. Some of you need to realize, like, at the end of the day, if we are not moved by him, something will move you. You're just not going to be unmoved. Those of you who think, if I just, like, sit idle, I won't go anywhere, oh, you're going somewhere, right? Like, you will go in callousness. You will grow in uh, this this arrogance of I don't need. In fact, I remember telling, uh, coining this phrase during the pandemic, and this is, some of you are not going to like this. Are you ready? The more you miss church, the less you miss church. Think about it. The more you miss church, the more you stop showing up for people, the less you actually, your heart misses it. And you think, I'm good. Why? Because I'm not going anywhere and everything's okay. But on the end of the day, you're spiraling down in callousness. Your fears are going, your, your inability to speak life into people it begins to grow while your ability to sin gets a little easier to step into, right? Like it is huge. But Paul says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you've received a spirit of adoption. So there are two different spirits operating in our room. One gets spread really easily, fear. I mean, Facebook is nasty with this. Like we all know that they are really good at showcasing and, and allowing the algorithm to pick up on fights, right? Or, or, or fear-based content or content where people are arguing with one another or, or where it's, it's polarizing because fear and hate spreads quicker than anything else. But we're to be children. One spirit is of adoption and the other is a slavery. Do you want to put this up? What it means, that word slavery means bondage or this fun word, subservience. Isn't that fun? I, I'll be honest, I'm not a know-it-all. I had no stinking idea what the word subservience means. Okay, if you do, you are a smarty pants. All right, I actually, it was Wednesday, right before our food pantry, and Caleb Geikema, this is a little call out to him, I looked at him and I said, hey, Caleb, what does subservience mean? And he gave me the actual definition. I'm like, you're smart, I'm done, I'm done. And he knew, 
I didn't know, so I had to Google it. And this word means this. It is a condition of being less than or underneath something or someone else. You're subservient of. And so to put this all together for you, you have not been given a spirit of subservience, which means you have not been given a spirit that puts you under something, a spirit that uh, puts you underneath or makes you under another. You have not been given a spirit of, of uh, slavery, of bondage, but instead one that constantly is and proclaims, I'm a child. In fact, this spirit in the world operates uh, by one that is pressing down continually. Have you ever met the people? Have you ever felt this way yourself? That you always feel like you have to get out from underneath something in life. Anyone? I always feel like I have to get better or out from underneath this, fill in the blank, out of underneath this habit, this, this hookup, this, this issue, this, this place, I am just behind. I am stuck. I'm underneath. That is a spirit of subservience. That's not who we are as sons and daughters. You are under sin. Uh, that's what it feels like. It implies, though, when, when Paul says those you will fall back into fear, that implies that word actually is a cyclical fear. I met a, an author who is, uh, she was crazy. She's hilarious. But she has become like an expert in fear and the fear cycle that our brains literally get stuck in fear. And it just is a cyclical thing where we actually begin to make beliefs from the cycle of fear and not from freedom. It's really interesting that actually many of our beliefs are in this circle over here. And Paul's, I think he's trying to show us, this is who you are. This is who you're not so that we can start realizing, oh, I do some of the things I'm not. I live in some of the places that I am not. And so now we get this hard pass of like, okay, I need to come back over here because if my sonship is not foundational, then everything I do will feel like bondage, which is exactly what Paul is saying. You have been given a spirit of adoption. That's a co-inheritor. You've been given a spirit of sonship, of being a daughter of the Most High. That means everything else that tries to demand anything other than you being a son will be and feel like bondage. Because it'll try to put you underneath something you're not. It'll try to put you under expectations that are not yours to hold. It'll try to put you under attributes that are not given to you. And we felt it. I remember the first time becoming a dad, we all try to put on like expectations that we will just never meet. In fact, they're not even like good ones. Do you remember when you first got married, people, and you had all these high expectations of what it would be like? Or when you first got that job and you put on yourself all these high expectations of what it would be like, but without even realizing it, you became subservient under these expectations and then never felt like you could climb above all of them. It's oppressive. It's heavy. You fall, it makes you fall back into fear. It makes you stuck in that place. And I think this is why Paul is saying this, because he says, I want you out of this way of thinking and into who you really are. Last week, one, I couldn't talk, so thank you for bearing with me. I was struggling with my voice. Um, 
But last week we ended a series over the book of Ephesians. Remember where the three last pieces of armor. Uh, if you missed it, you can tune in to part of it on Facebook. Um, and uh, I haven't found myself to put it onto a podcast because I don't want to hear myself talk because I was all greggly. Like, right, but it's there. And then we talked about the last three pieces of the armor of God, and it was about spiritual warfare. So sitting into here, we cannot talk about the fact that you are a daughter of the king without pulling out the elephant in the room, that this is the truth about you, that the enemy will do his best at getting you to overlook. It really is. Like the enemy will get, do his best to get you to think of anything but you being a son of God. Because if he can limit your connection with the Father, then he can literally get you to be stuck on things that are not actually yours to even care about. Right? Like, that's not even your responsibility. Some of you, I think that's the most freeing thing. Like, at the end of the day, this whole place, being a pastor, that's a responsibility of mine. But some of you, and me included, put other things into my hands, and I try to grab more things in my hands. And one of the most freeing statements is me being able to say, that's not mine. This is mine. That's not me. This is who I am. Because if the enemy can get us adding more, adding more, adding more than that, that, that lie of you being blank, not enough, you being stuck, you being an addict and an addict only, think of what that it goes against, the spirit of adoption. It does. And so let's get this a little bit, like we're going to peel back some more layers of this truth, okay? I like, to, I like to go a little deeper, so now we're going to dig a little deeper. All right, this word uh, for spirit, when Paul says you have, did not receive or obtain or acquire a spirit, that word, if you want to put it in the next one, there's a lot of them. There's like five times or four times, five, yeah, I was right, whoo. Five times of the word spirit it is the word pneuma. And I really like this because some of you um, really are disconnected with the spiritual world. You don't like the idea of the demonic. Others of you, you really like the idea of the demonic. And, and we can become so like hypersensitive to it. And so when we actually look at this word pneuma, it's actually powerful because then we start seeing every demon has an attitude attached to it. Every spirit has a way of thinking, a disposition, and that is not mine. That's not who I am. And so to get this a little bit further, I really like the words are there. So now we're going to insert them instead. For all who are led by the way of thinking, the disposition, the breath of God are children of God. All who are led by the attitude of the Lord, where Paul says, I need you to be of the same mind as Christ, who in the very nature of God did not consider that to be used at his own advantage, but instead he emptied himself. So the attitude, the spirit of God is the attitude. He is literally the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. But then it goes, for you did not receive a pneuma of slavery. What this means is at the end of the day, you did not receive from God, this was your old way, an attitude of bondage. Some of you, you still, when push comes a shove, you take on this attitude of bondage. Like at the end of the day, no matter what, you are going to be here, stuck in this, never moving forward. That is an 
attitude of bondage, a way of thinking, meaning you are, you did not receive a way of thinking that is of slavery or of less than literally some of you, you are struggle with celebrating other people because if you celebrate other people, what does that mean to you? That's an attitude of slavery because really like my, this is my wife. We, we fear that if we celebrate this person, then we have little value. That's a way of the world. That is a slavery, a, a, a spirit, an attitude, a way of thinking that is subservient, right? That, that fancy word. But it continues, a disposition. This fun word uh, means uh, disposition is the way that you started. You have a starting point of. You did not receive a starting point of slavery. That means if someone has a a happy disposition, that means everything they do comes from this happiness. And you have you ever met people like that? They're just always positive and joyful. It's because they have a joyful disposition. It, it starts, everything starts from that and goes forward. You did not give, you were, you were not given a disposition of slavery. That's not where you started from anymore. You are new, you were redeemed, a breath, an inner being. But instead, let's look at the other way. You were given an attitude of being a daughter, which now means check your heart. Are you showcasing in every breath that you are a daughter? Because that's the spirit you've been given. That's the heart that you have. Have you been showing in everything that you have the way of thinking of being a son, meaning your disposition, your starting point? Everything begins with I'm a son. And that's where I act from, being a son. And that's where I come from. That's what he's really saying. You've been given. Your inner being is now an inheritor. And so now, this is beautiful, when we cry, Abba, Father, continuing in the, in the text, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very same breath of God that is bearing witness with our hearts, saying, yeah, you are a daughter. I'll listen. Yeah, you are a daughter. I'm here with you. You see, sometimes we got to look at the opposite. The world, when they sin, their sin bears witness to their slavery, and that's what proves they are hellbound. Because their, their sin, their actions, their crying, their command is testifying to their heart, bearing witness, it's connected, and so they're dying. But now me, when I treat dad like dad, it bears witness to my heart and dad's like, son, I'm here. And so to make this fleshed out really well, the rain sort of freaked me out this week. I'll tell you, the men, uh, we have women's, uh, women's, no, we have men's ministry, a little Bible study every Wednesday. And the rain got me out of whack because we're renovating a house and my stucco guy didn't finish right before the rain came. And like the rain came and the wind blew, my foundation might be built on him, but my roof is not. And my roof, uh, my roof leaked. And so I came and he hadn't finished yet before the rain happened and so rain was coming in and it was dripping and I was stressing and like obviously you can't do anything about it because it's wet you can't add add stucco to wet walls and not only that uh, you also can't do anything about it other than a tarp it was just a mess I was stressing out I talked to God and I said all right God I'm your son 
I know that you're not going to do, like, I'm not expecting you to do anything magical. But I do know that at the end of the day, I'm going to come into that home. And I really had this, like, hour-long discourse with the father. I'm going to come into the home in the morning. And I know that you're going to be with me. And I'm going to say, I'm going to point to the water. And I already told God I was going to, I'm going to point to the water. And I'm going to say, Dad, what are we going to do about this? And I'm going to expect you to tell me what to do, like how to give me peace in it, how to help me out. Because when we say Abba Father, not like thinking that we are under something or less than or, or in the bondage still, but when we say Abba Father, knowing that we are his, the spirit testifies to our heart. And not only that, when we are in suffering, he speaks, he speaks. In fact, as we get into this more, uh, this belief that he is a good father, verse 18 happens. In verse 18, Paul says, I consider that the suffering of this present time that I'm dealing with, with the, with the leaky roof, is not worth comparing to the glory that's about to be revealed in us. This verse I remember a Marcia Kane, a woman who led me to the Lord. Years later, my own mom would die. Marcia would write this on a note card and give it to me. The present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory being revealed. I did not realize how deep this would actually be because it continues. For the creation, all of it, longs with eager longing for the revealing of God. Is that what it says? Look at this, this is beautiful. In fact, some of you who have animals, you can start looking at your animal and say, Jordy, that's my dog, you are waiting with eager expectation for me to be revealed as a child of God. And he's just like looking at me like, what are you saying? But I don't think you realize this. All of creation was subject to futility, to emptiness by God. So that now creation, this is literally what he's saying, now that creation can be set free from its bondage and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's really cool that actually all of creation around you is waiting for you to actually believe what the Lord has already spoken. It's really cool. Literally, the world The reason mountains can move with faith is because that mountain is waiting for you to declare to move because you're a son. And it's like, please, please just be a son of God. Like, tell me to move. All of the earth was put in subject under Adam and now it's messed up. And so now all of the earth is literally waiting for you and I to get off of our high horses of self-worth problems and fears and actually say, dad, I need you. And the more and more I do that, all of the earth begins to see that's a son, that's a daughter. They're waiting for us to be revealed. It continues. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has actually been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we feel it. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Why? Because life is hard. I hear you. Some of you have messed up cars. We can have a whole pact of that. Like, I have like a, a check engine light. For some reason, one of our tires are flat. And then my, my like... Uh, 
little dial keeps going all the way down and saying empty. And it's just like, what is, you know, all of us, we have suffering in our life. Like that's just gonna happen. But now we have hope for it is in hope we were saved. Verse 24. Now this hope that is seen is not hope at all. For who hopes for what is seen? Verse 25, but if we hope, if we wait for what we do not see, we wait for it for pa- with patience. And likewise, while we're waiting, the Spirit helps. He intercedes for us in ways that we don't even know. He's interceding. And the beauty of this, like I've coined the phrase, a long game. Some of you need to write that down. I just need to start playing a long game, the long game with my suffering. Some of you, you keep saying, God, I will know that you are true when you do this for me. And he's like, son, daughter, just be with me now. Just be with me now. And we will see what happens. I've got a plan. And this same section says that he works all things for the good of those who love him. That's, that's Romans chapter eight, but it's really interesting. It's not just that like, okay, I'll give him my love so that he does good for me. No, it's, I am a child of God proven by my, my relationship with dad. And so I can wait because he's making all things good. All things good for the, the, the good of me who is called, you who is called. So I hope. I hope we're playing the long game. And this is something that like will keep me out of fear if I play the long game. It really is. It's something where my groaning will not turn to despair. You see, I've learned, I've had some one-on-one discipling conversations for almost a decade now. Um, I've been at the opportunity to be able to counsel people. I love counseling. Some of you think that Greg, he's just too busy. If you want to talk, I'm there. I love counseling. I've also been a man who has been counseled by many. So I've been discipled. And I have learned this, either people discipling me or me discipling others, that the inward groan of life, if we see that through the lens of bondage, then we will get stuck in this cycle where it never feels like we're moving anywhere. And that's the hardest place to be. Because if I view life from the um, spirit of bondage, then nothing will be good enough. Because I think I have to do more in order to be good enough. But when I see life from the spirit of son, then I start asking dad, will you do something? And I trust that he is good enough. Because at the end of the day, it's not about me being a son, but in slavery, it's all about, in bondage, it's all about you and what you can get out of under, from being under, right? And so I've seen this at work, at work, and at work. It's interesting. It finds its way into our deepest memories. Because if you're like me, we had like a good portion of our life where we did live in the spirit of slavery, right? Anyone else? Or did you just come out of the womb already adopted, like by God? No, we were in the spirit of slavery. So the enemy does a really good job of connecting present actions with the slavery of our past and making us feel like we're there again. Like really, like that, he does a really good job of connecting present issues with past slavery, which was real because we were a slave in our sin, but he does a really good job and then we're boom, all the way back there again. 
But the Father does not just long to father us now, but to father us now through then. Does that make sense? Where I told you a while ago, like, um, you can't touch my sin of old because everything that has been brought to the light becomes light. You see, the Father wants to father us now by going then with us. To say, like, I don't just care about who you are right now. I so loved you and the rest of the world that I went and I died. So I didn't just die for you presently. I want to go back then with you and redeem this so that we can move on, so that you will not operate with any spirit of slavery. I'm going to connect new thoughts, new memories to this, the new beliefs. You see, in one instance, and this... um, (laughs) Have you ever, like, before we get into this little story, I have a little, like, object lesson for you. Um, but before we get into that, have you ever, like, had something happen? And this is just real talk, okay? Have something happen, and it made you feel like you were just a child again? Anyone? It's okay if you didn't. I'll just keep nodding, like, because I, I agree with it. Um, and when even me saying that, we put the connotation of that is a negative thing. They made me feel like I was a child again. That's not a good thing, right? We never, we never make it as a good thing. I was in there and I felt like a child again. What we mean by that is I felt incompetent or I felt like everyone was looking down on me or when I was in this place, I just felt like I was oppressed again or they were speaking to me like my dad spoke to me and I felt like I was being overlooked again. Anytime we claim I, feel, I felt like a child again, one, it's never positive things, right? It's never positive emotion. And two, it always makes us feel the bondage of then. You see, the father, one, wants to redeem your definition of a child because I look at scripture and Jesus says, blessed are the children. Have a childlike faith. Come to me like a child. And so one, God wants to rework your belief of what it means to be a child with the Lord but also he wants to meet you in all those places. So I remember one specific conversation, and this is going to be like the worst case scenario, okay? But this is a real life instance. For the sake of this person's story, we're gonna call him Sam, okay? This was years ago, Sam. This is a uh, worst case scenario because it's interesting when we hear stories, and this is cool how our brains do this, when we hear extreme cases, we can actually begin to realize how those extreme beliefs are like covertly hidden in our own heart. Does this make sense? So sometimes when we hear the extreme case scenario, we can actually be like, ooh, I'm acting extreme. Or ooh, I've got some beliefs that are extreme. It's when like I'm spiraling, some of you like want to like talk me off of it. What I really need you to do is meet me on the level of anxiety and I'm like, girl, calm down. And then I start realizing, oh, I need to calm down. Like I've told my wife that. What I need you to do, like if I'm stressing out, I just need you to stress out with me and then I'll begin to realize you're wrong and I'm wrong. Like, and that's, I don't know why, but like when we see worst case scenario, we start believing, right? Like we're like, oh, I've got some, some things I need to hand over. So Sam, um, is some man who is severely oppressed with a demonic. Uh, this story, like, it is the pendulum swing to the heavy side. But, like, I'll tell you, his story, it, it started very basic as he's talking. It filled out a connect card 
on a Sunday years ago, I would like to counsel be counseled. Cool. We're sitting together and I soon realized very clearly I need brothers in the room because Sam was struggling and I was sort of writing down like, he was just started very basic, like, Pastor Greg, I doubt my salvation daily. And it was just heavy. I met the Lord, he said, and he would always just say, I met the Lord when I was seven years old and I gave my life to him at seven, but I have never felt free. And he's just talking and he's like, he wanted counseling because I've never felt free. And I'm like, all right, well, let's keep talking. And I'm saying these truths of Romans 8, but it's just, you know, like for the podcast people, I just hit my forehead and I dropped it to the ground. Um, It just seems like it's hitting his head and falling. And so I just kept going further and further. And he he would tell me a story, like he would call hotlines almost daily to ask the father, like, forgive me again. Jesus come into my life and he would just keep doing it over and over and over. And what I like soon discovered was that the war of fear was so cyclical that he would never jump out of it to see things clearly. And I was just having a hard time. Like there was a whole host of past traumas, past pains. And what I soon discovered, like some satanic abuse, his family was in the occult. And the moment that that started happening, things started making sense. Okay, this is something a little heavier. And the conversation I watched as he would revert back to not just the feelings, but you know when like feelings also like remind us of mannerisms, you know, like uh, how like body language really does a lot to us. You remember as a child, if someone is a child and they're new, they're like, you know, and they're like really awkward and you're like, what? We all went through that as puberty, right? When you're like, you don't know how to stand when you feel awkward. Now we know how to little poise a little better. I feel awkward, but no one can tell because my body language is good. But I started watching as he would not only tell the story, but his whole body shifted to, to put on the feelings that he was talking about as if it was real again. And I would just watch as he talked about the sexual abuse that he endured with his parents, uh, the, 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 this, the, the times that he had asked the Lord to help him and nothing happened, or the moments when, when God would meet him in strange places. And every time he would say the Lord, and I'm like, God, this isn't sounding right. And I wanted to write this down because I began picking up quickly in the conversation. Uh, and this, I began quickly. So you don't have to like be amazing or know the vast parts of the world or the spiritual world to be able to pick this up, okay? I just know my God. And the more you know God, you can hear him and see him. And so quickly in the conversation, I began picking up that the words he would use to describe the Lord. Now, this is important. They sounded good, but they felt different. They had these like similar promises etched in on it, like the verbiage of like goodness or hope or happiness or joy, like where Paul says that God will make all things good. Like he, he had this verbiage going on, but it felt different. I wrote this down like they were good things, but every time Sam would say them, it felt like there was always just something missing in his words. Like uh, in every promise, he also believed that he had to do something in order for it to happen. Like quite the most basic of levels, in order for him to be loved, he had to 
blank. In order for him to, to be free, he had to blank. And every single time he talked about the Lord, it was like there was something on his part that he had to do in order for it to come to pass of him or else it will never be. And it was just really weird. And I know that's like subtle and you're like, that doesn't sound demonic. Oh, it's about to. And because I, I was just like, what is happening? Like, God, what are you doing? And so in the conversation, I would watch him revert back and forth. And I remember like feeling led to ask, Sam, will you tell me the time when you met the Lord? And then he got really giddy. And like, I would love to. He was seven and he went to watch Pinocchio when it was in the theaters. And this was three years into his sexual abuse, the trauma with the satanic, and the star, when you wish upon a star, came close to him in the movie theater. And it said, Sam, I am the Lord. Like, I will give you good things. I will protect you. And he started telling me all the things that the Lord would say. I am God. Like, I love you. I will keep you protected from people. I will be with you no matter what. And he just, he's so giddy as he's telling us the story. He's getting emotional, crying. I'm getting the wig, like the, the willies. If you, you're with me. And I just out of nowhere felt the need to ask, at what cost, Sam? And he goes, what? I said, what did the star say would happen if you didn't? I don't even know why I asked that. He held himself tightly, rocked back and forth, and said, he would kill me. He would kill me. It would kill me. He would kill me. I'd be done. I'd be nothing. And he just like, and the room shifted. I said, Sam, scripture says that Lucifer is the morning star, that he looks shining and good, but promises nothing. Sam, you gave your life to Lucifer and hunger for the promises of the Father, but are stuck in this slavery of bondage where you never, you, you see the things of God as a possibility that would happen if you got out from under something. And that's why the enemy is so good at what he's doing because you think you're gonna get out from under one thing and there's another thing to get out from under, right? And so he's stuck in this cycle and I just, the room shifted. Without realizing it, he had received the spirit of slavery, like intentionally received the spirit. And it was keeping him from freedom. Now, I would love to say that the conversation turned really beautiful and like it's a story of redemption. I don't know. But what I do know is I got to spend three weeks with Sam after that. And I'm thankful for the Lord for it because I got to experience life with Sam in, in some cool ways. Um, one he renounced this time uh, as a seven-year-old. He got clarity of what had happened. And we began doing what I believe the Father wants to do in each of your hearts, okay? We began going back to every time he thought he had an interaction with the Lord or he had an interaction with oppression. We can call that because maybe some of you would never call that oppression God, but you call it sin and oppression. So he would go back to all these times, key times that were defining for him. And he began letting the Lord, the God of the universe, Jesus, Yeshua, by no other name, Jesus, begin healing them. Story by story, by moment by moment, the father was trying to father him. Now, 
I hadn't, didn't see him for two weeks, and then I got a phone call. I don't know where he is now, but I do know that for those two weeks, the Lord, which you'll hear, um, and you can decide whether what it was, the Lord had told him he could not leave his bed. And he was in a hotel. And so after two weeks of being on a bed, unable, bound to not go to a bathroom, the people began smelling through the door what had happened, and they kicked him out. Outside the hotel, he heard the Lord say, do not trust a church where a husband and wife co-pastor. And he's telling me this on the phone, and I'm like, awkward? Because um, he knew. I'm like, okay, bud. Here's my phone number if you ever need anything. Last time I talked to Sam. And he went on his way. I don't know his story, but I said it so that you can begin realizing what the Father wanted to do in him to heal, redeem, rewrite. The Father wants to do for you. Heal, redeem, rewrite. The moments where you are thrown back into feeling like you're under something. Maybe take the Father to that thought with you. God, rewrite something. Show me who I am over this now. Does this make sense? Because what is it, what Paul's about to say, verse 31, if I could just end with Romans, he says, what are we to say about these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? This will preach. Like, right, like he did not withhold his own son, but he gave him up all for all of us. Then will he not also give us everything? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn us? It is Jesus who died, who is raised, and how, who now intercedes, and then verse 35. So then, will hardship, what will separate us from the love of God? Will hardship, some of you need, really need to, to preach this to your heart. Like, what will separate me from the child of God, from the love of God? Will hardship, will distress, will persecution, will famine, will nakedness, will peril, will sword? You fear of man has dominated some of you and the lack of belief that you are a son is hurting you. And so you keep operating in that cycle. Will it affect you? He answers the question in 37, no. And all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, he says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of present, nor the things that were affecting Sam, nor the things of your past, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of Christ. And so we have to command, why will it not separate me from the love of Christ? Not because he saved me, but because he called me son. Does this make sense? It is not because he died on a cross. It's because he calls me son. He calls you daughter. It is about that. I've come to learn, like, when it comes to, like, me standing in the promises of the Lord, it has to say, it has to be, I'm a son, so this promise is for me. Like I'm a son, and so these promise is for me. In fact, to help you, this is a cool phrase that you can think through. Like these things are not proof that I am wrong or unable or a, a, a mess. These are just opportunities to prove that God's promises are true. I'm gonna say like, 
this hardship, right, that was one of them, this stress, this famine, this issue, this present thing that is distressing me, it is not proof that I am wrong or unable. It's not proof that I'm messed up. It's not proof that I am, I am, I am forgotten. Instead, it is an opportunity for my father's promises to reign true. It's an opportunity for my father's promises. And so, Ban, can you guys come up? Because this is t- counterintuitive. But we're about to sing your good, good father again. It's who you are. It is who you are. This is counterintuitive. But at the end of the day, when you feel like a child and want to run to all those feelings, I challenge you to sit with the Father in it. Heal this, God. Change this, God. This feeling is not proof that I am that. This is an opportunity for you to prove your promises, that you will silence the enemy, that I will be more than a conqueror because I'm a child of you. And I mean this, like some of you, you will not seek healing because you don't want to feel those feelings again. But the father's like, I need you to feel those feelings again so that I can rewrite those feelings for you. So that I can show you that you are not them. So that I can find in you freedom. You see, we, we run away, but the Lord just like, sit with me. Sit with me. It's really interesting. Many of you believe, you know the word autonomy. You know the word autonomy? It's a fun, fancy word for I've got it all figured out. I'm able, autonomy. Many of you think that it is when you are autonomous that you live abundantly, when you got it figured out. But abundant life is all about being a needy son. It is from me being a son, not a non-autonomy, like not, not having autonomy in this. I'm able to do things because of him, but I will not ever be free without him. So my abundant life is not over there in being responsible and able. It's right here in being needy of my dad, bringing my dad everywhere I go. Asking my dad to change that, to change my thoughts. And so I'm going to read you, as we get into this, a psalm that we're going to sing. This is probably my favorite psalm. It's three verses. It says, O Lord, as a child, I say, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. As a child, my eyes are not raised too high. I'm not occupying myself with things too great for me, too marvelous for me. But instead I've calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child with its mother, my soul is okay. A weaned child is a child that no longer needs breast milk. It's a beautiful time when I like get to peek in on Rowan after she's nursing and then she's just done. And she's just staring at Kate in the eyes. 
or sleeping content? A weaned child is content. You must take the authority as being a daughter. See, at the end of the day, I'm just gonna sit with you, be content. I'm gonna let you deal with what you're gonna deal with. But I'm gonna calm and quiet my soul because I do have authority to do that. My soul is like a weaned child. And then the writer says, O Israel, O glory church, hope in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Because he's a good, good father. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.